The text for the sermon this day is taken from that processional gospel which we began with outside. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to talk a little bit about the difference between expectations and reality. Quite often, our expectations are not the same as reality. So I'll give you an example. My dad, he, wor he works in the truck trucking industry. He sells semis and trailers uh, for Ruan Transportation. So if anybody needs a truck, that's who you talk to. But a lot of times growing up, I would, have, I would listen to the cassette tapes you pick up at truck stops. And yes, I dated myself for saying cassette tapes. But he would listen to those, and a lot of times there would be news on those tapes. And so, for example, which I thought was kind of odd, because when you do news, it could get really outdated. And case in point was the, guy, the commentator was talking about how that year they were going to have the greatest Super Bowl there ever was. It was supposed to be between the 14-2 and two Denver Broncos, who took the AFC by storm. The other team was supposed to be the 15-1 highest scoring team in the history of the NFL, the Minnesota Vikings. If anybody knows that year, you know that was the expectation, but it was not reality. Because in the NFC Championship, the Minnesota Vikings were playing the Atlanta Falcons. And they had control up until two minutes left in the first half. And that's when it started going south. They gave up a touchdown before halftime. Gary Anderson, who had not missed a field goal or an extra point all season, missed his field goal that would have sealed the victory. And they ended up losing in overtime. And instead, it was the Atlanta Falcons versus the Denver Broncos. Many believed it was one of the worst Super Bowls in history. Because the only touchdown for the Falcons came from Iowa's own Tim Dwight taking back a kick return. Expectation, reality. The gospel lesson today, John 12. The crowds had heard of Jesus. They knew he was coming into town. The people, they were living under the reign of the Romans. And they wanted nothing more than for the end of that reign. They wanted their own kingdom. They wanted a, king, a kingdom like they had when David was alive. And so they, when they heard that Jesus was coming, they knew of his reputation. How he had fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Imagine how efficiently he could feed an army like that. He made the deaf to hear, the blind to see, the lame to walk, the mute to speak. He cleansed the lepers, and very recently he even raised someone from the dead. Lazarus, his dear friend, who had been dead for long enough that the King James said that he stinketh. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, and he came out alive. Imagine how well he could take on an army. You could kill off the soldiers and he could just tell the soldier to wake up. 
and he'll be able to raise them. If anybody could overthrow the Romans, it's this one. And he, so he, they, are, they get the palm branches. They're ready for the parade because of palm branches. That's a way that you greet your king. And they sh they're shouting the words, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. The word Hosanna literally means save us now. But as verse 16 says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. Because as far as they were concerned, they were hoping that he would save them from Rome. Because it was an abomination for a Gentile to reign over Jerusalem. And so they were demanding salvation from Rome. That, and so their expectation was Jesus was going to ride in with victory over Rome and on his mind. And they knew about parades because that's what Pilate did regularly. They'd ride through the streets of Jerusalem. He'd be on his horse and they'd be accompanied by chariots. And they'd see the, the soldiers of Rome. And it would be an advertisement of Roman Pax. That is, peace by the might of Rome. But they wanted Yahweh's Pax. They wanted the peace of the Lord, the Lord of the God of Israel, who would overthrow Rome. And so Jesus, he rides into Jerusalem and he is on a stallion. No. Okay? He was on a chariot, right? Nope. He was on a donkey. If you're going to carry out a war, you're going to carry out a battle to overthrow the mightiest empire in the entire world, you're going to need something more than a donkey to carry out this battle. Now, they understood the imagery that Jesus was con conveying. Because as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. They would have been familiar with that image. That's how their king rode in, in victory. But the victory hadn't been happened yet. Rome is still standing. Riding in on a donkey, that's supposed to come afterwards, not before the battle. Their expectation was not meeting reality. But you see, Jesus would either even further defy their expectations or go against it to show that he did not come to bring about an earthly kingdom. The next day, he would be in the temple and he'd throw out the money changers, casting whips, turning over tables. Later that week, they would give him a chance to renounce Rome, saying, should we pay taxes unto Caesar? And what does Jesus say? Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, unto God what is God's. He did not take their bait. Clearly, he had given the evidence that he was not there to overthrow Rome. Many believe that this is the reason, now granted this is speculation, but many believe it's the reason that Judas, later that week, 
would plan to betray Jesus. Because Jesus was not the Christ, not the Messiah he was hoping for. And it's believed that that's why the crowd, even though they hollered, were singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, later that week would be saying, crucify him, crucify him. Because he was not the king they expected. He is not who they wanted. But you see what Jesus came to bring was a reality that is greater than our expectations. See, he rode into Jerusalem for a reason. Because if you, go, if you happen to be here way back at Ash Wednesday, March 2nd, I know that feels like an eternity ago already, but the, the focus of the sermon was in John chapter 1. And John the Baptist when he saw Jesus approaching, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is, is riding into Jerusalem, the week of Passover. He is riding in to present himself as the Lamb of sacrifice. The Lamb of blemish, without blemish. He is presenting himself as the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. Because you see, the purpose of the sacrificial lamb is that he was to atone for the sins of the, of the individual. God doesn't have sin. So he is not coming to atone for sins of God. But he is coming to atone for the sins of God's family. The world. The world which he created. The wrath of God that was to be directed towards you was to be directed towards his son, whom he had appointed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because there is no doubt, sin, we have that. Sin of thought, word, and deed. And if anybody ever doubts where they stand in this relationship, there's a reason why we require our, our confirmands to remember, memorize the Ten Commandments. There's a reason why they're required to remember its meanings. The reason is not just so that they can know how to live a, per, a good life, that they learn how to be good people. That, the first, per, first use of the law, if you remember back to confirmation, yes, it is a curve. And it's telling you what you shouldn't and shouldn't do. But the primary use of the law is the second use. And what is that? Mirror. The primary purpose of the law, the primary function of the law is to show your sin. You memorize those commandments, you memorize those meanings, so you can see where you fall short of God's glory. Takes away any pride or self-righteousness you may have. 
Because it's so easy for us, if we just went with the plain, simple, old commandments, you shall not murder. It's like, oh, that's easy. I've never killed anybody. But have you ever insulted someone? Ever spoken badly of them behind their back, tearing down their reputation? Have you ever said, I hate that person? According to, that, according to Jesus himself, then you are guilty of murder in your heart. See, we stand as sinners, needing the lamb of sacrifice. So Jesus is riding into Jerusalem to bring not Roman packs, not the peace of Rome by the might of Rome, but rather Pax Domini, the peace of the Lord, which is given not by might, but by humility. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, death on the cross. By the absolute setting aside of his glory, which again, this is why everything is covered up. All the crosses are covered up. It's symbolizing that Jesus set aside the fullness of his glory. He emptied himself, as we just heard in the reading from Philippians. He emptied himself, becoming obedient to death, that by it you may have the peace of the Lord. The expectation was to come and conquer Rome. But he came to conquer sin, death, the devil. The enemy that is common to all humanity. He did not come to give you a kingdom on earth. He did not come to give you riches. He did not come to give you your dream destinies. Sorry, there are preachers that will probably be preaching that today and very much next week. He did not come even to give glory to any nation or any kingdom, on earth that is. He came to fulfill his kingdom, to bring us into his kingdom, which has no end, of which there is where death will be no more, where sickness will be no more, the hymn that we're going to end the service with tonight, today, it's the hymn of the day for Palm Sunday. And it's also a traditional hymn of the day for Good Friday. The hymn is A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth. And I intentionally used the last two verses from the old TLH hymnal. And the reason is because some reason the new hymnal cut out these wonderful verses. It says, of death, I am no more afraid. New life from thee is flowing. Thy cross affords me cooling shade. When noonday sun is glowing, when by my grief I am oppressed, on thee my weary soul shall rest serenely as pillows. 
Thou art my anchor when by woe, my bark is driven to and fro on trouble's surging billows. You hear that? See, Jesus rode into Jerusalem not to conquer the fear of Rome, but to conquer the fear of death itself. Death, which we are surrounded by, grief, which all of us have experienced either recently or at any point in our lives, you need not fear death. And when you grieve, you can rest on the promise of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who came to bring the peace of the Lord. By his death, you can rest in him. Rest on him as on a soft pillow. Trusting, knowing, that death has been defeated. And in him, we can say this, as in verse 6, When thy glory I shall see, and taste thy kingdom's pleasure, thy blood my royal robe shall be, my joy beyond all measure, when I appear before thy throne. Thy righteousness shall be my crown, with these I need not hide me, and there in garments richly wrought, as thine own bride I shall be brought to stand in joy beside thee. You could tell us from the old hymnal with all the these. But that is what we await. Because he came to bring the peace of the Lord. He did not give us our expectations. He gave us an eternal reality which is far, far better. Until that day comes, to him be all glory. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, a life everlasting.